0: Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and I am thrilled to welcome August McLaughlin to the podcast. If you're not familiar with August, she is an author and a podcaster, and she is the host of Girl Boner, a show all about owning up to your female sexuality. We have a great time today on the podcast, but before we get to that, let's go ahead and do some housekeeping. All right. Here it is, your weekly reminder. Everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the show notes. There is a link there that will take you to all the books discussed today, as well as the social media accounts for The Stacks and our guests. Plus, if you shop through the links on Amazon, you're helping to keep The Stacks free. If you're looking for an amazing book recommendation, send us an email to askingthestacks at gmail.com. Myself and my guest will read it on air, discuss it, and then give you a personalized book recommendation or five. So email askingthesex at gmail.com with your name, what you're looking for, and maybe a few titles you've loved or hated. If you like The Stacks and want to support the work we're doing, here are a few easy ways you can help. First of all, join us over on Patreon. That's a website where you support the work we're doing and earn perks for yourself. We've got a virtual book club, we got inside access to the show, and we have an amazing community of other readers who love the podcast. So head over to patreon.com slash the stacks to join in. The last thing you can do to help the show is definitely the easiest. Subscribe to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a rating and a review, and tell. your friends and family about the show. It goes a really long way to helping us reach new audiences. All right, here it is, my conversation with August McLaughlin. All right, you guys, I'm so excited. I'm sitting here today with August McLaughlin. She is a powerhouse author, activist, podcast host, writer, badass woman extraordinaire. She's known for her work around empowering women in their sexuality and the exploration of positive sex lives. Her book is called Girl Boner, and it's The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment. August, welcome to The Stacks. Thank you so much for having me. I love your show. I love your show. We're we're having a girl moment. We're having like podcast mutual (laughs) crushes. Yeah, podcast boner moment.
1: Yes, podcast (laughs) boner. I love it.
0: Um, Okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where you started from, how you got to be August McLaughlin girl boner.
1: Sure. So I grew up in Minnesota. Okay. In a pretty big family, happy family, I would say for the most part. I have four siblings. I'm the middle child. Uh, I was definitely the most uh, curious, adventurous, um, outspoken one of my family. I have a very Scandinavian, kind of quiet uh, family. And so we didn't really talk about sex. A lot of people still don't. Uh, We didn't learn anything in school. And that curiosity kind of planted the seed for me. And then it was uh, later, after high school, when I was working in the fashion industry, I struggled with a really severe eating disorder and I had this huge epiphany in a college class one day when the teacher started a conversation about sex and I realized I had never talked about sex. I'd had sex and not even talked about sex to the person I right. was having it with. Right. And so that was kind of the very beginning um, and then a series of you know personal growth and all that stuff. I went from modeling to acting to writing, and I just knew I wanted to do something in that space because it really helped save my life.
0: Yeah and do you I called you an activist. do you call yourself an activist? i
1: I do I do um I definitely feel a sense of activism in all of the work I do. I feel that especially women's pleasure is very political mm-hmm. and when you are speaking about it in in our culture, um, it 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 is a form of activism, even if you're only celebrating it. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, it feels to me like a, a greater purpose beyond um, pleasure, which to me is is meaningful.
0: It's not a frivolous thing. Right. Pleasure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. One of the things I love about your book is that your introduction is fantastic. It really lays out exactly what the book is, and it really sets the tone for where the book is going and who the book is for and how you can use the book in different ways and all of that. And I just really appreciated that because so many books that talk about sex or gender or whatever it is, don't really acknowledge the audience. So how did that kind of idea come to you to make sure that you laid out your introduction in that way?
1: Oh, I appreciate that so much. I really wanted people to feel that this was their book, Mm. like their personal experience. Mm -hmm. I'm there as a, as like a guide, uh, a friend, kind of a sister figure who, has been there, has experienced a lot of the same things, and has learned a lot and wants to share. But this is your discovery journey. Right. And one thing I've learned and feel so strongly about is that every person's journey is so personally unique. And so I can't like give like a cookie cutter, here's how you have to use my book. Like right. I wanted to give options and flexibility and be like, you can skip a chapter, you know, um, and and really welcoming the people who I, I felt were like my primary audience, which are the people who identify as that kind of quote unquote good girl where right. you grew up believing you can't be this like good person with values and who like volunteers right. and maybe goes to church and also enjoys orgasms. Like, right. <laughs> um, that's a huge part of my audience, but I also have uh, men and non-binary people in my audience and I wanted to make sure that they felt welcome. So I, I thought it's better to say the things before someone else is like, wait a minute, you you didn't do this and you didn't do that. Right. I think if you if you are the person to bring those things up, I even acknowledged the trolls at the beginning because I know they're there, and so I I figure I may as well be the person to say it.
0: Right. I want to talk about the quote unquote good girl because I am curious about women who don't identify as that and how they respond to that name. Cuz like personally, I don't identify as a good girl. I I don't like that. Uh-huh. But I felt like I could relate to a lot of your book. Totally. So I wonder what good girl means to you because it's so open.
1: Yeah, thank you for asking that. <laughs> it's funny because I personally never labeled myself a good girl. It wasn't until I was in like my early adulthood and I realized um you know, that th- there were certain traits about me that that would fit into that quote unquote category of good girl. Mm. But I kind of felt rebellious growing up. So I I get that. Yeah. Uh, And it's been interesting because the people who really do identify with that term, because I really wanted to reach people who are in, you know, middle of the America, small town, no access to anything. Right. And they go to church or another religion. um, And they just have all these rules around them. Maybe they grew up in purity culture. I, I saw a really big missing piece f- for that community. Mm. Uh, but my audience, like my podcast audience, is completely diverse. Like, I don't say good girl's there. That's just like, interesting. girl boner, come on. Right. Like, we all just talk about sexual empowerment in our lives. And so, uh, but it's been interesting because I would say good girl is the one that makes people. I'll get like a lot of people going, "Oh yeah, totally get it." And then I'll get a couple of people who are looking at me a little like, "Huh? What do you mean?" Yeah. Cuz it does it, it feels a little condescending kind of, right? It's a right? little bit of a pejorative. Totally. Yeah. It totally is. And and I want people I feel like that has to be part of the conversation. Um I don't think that that term is necessary uh in the in the title so much, but I do think that it makes people think because when you take good and mm-hmm. some anybody female and sex, like that is not allowed to be together. Right. So I wanted to break that. I wanted to be like, because one of the things that people say to me so often when they hear about my work, uh, like they just met me mm-hmm. and they ask, what do you do? And like, gradually I'm like, girl voter And then they're like, <laughs> but you seem so nice. Right. And so that's what, that's what the button I wanted to push there. Right. Um, but I also totally respect that, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's not a judgment on a person. Right.
0: Yeah. It's more the way it's more of a response to the way that the phrase is used pejoratively. Completely. I see. Okay, cuz I definitely was like, "Huh. I don't know," but then I also think sure, I'm sure at some point almost every person who's female or non-binary or has identified as female at some point has been boxed in that way, totally. whether it's don't be such a bad girl. Like even when you're six, like that's naughty. Put your dress down. We want good girls, like that Mm -hmm. type of thing. So I get it, but I definitely was curious about your relationship Uh to the phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you also explain for us girl boner? Yeah. Like what does that mean to you? Give us a little background on that. Sure.
1: So to me, girl boner represents the embracement of our authentic sexuality it also represents uh, pleasure for anyone who identifies as female. And from a, a technical standpoint, a girl boner is what happens to you physically when you're aroused. I found that I there were so few terms about turn on for a female. Um, and so when I was first starting Girl Boners, a vlog series like seven years ago, I looked in my slang dictionary and there were zero terms. <laughs> Zero. There there wasn't a word. And it's kind of like, you know, I believe that language reflects our culture. I think it shapes it too. So to be able to uh, have a term that really says, uh, yeah, we get turned on too. right? Um, And it has personal significance because growing up when I was in that awkward sex ed class and learned nothing positive
0: for me and all these
1: things, it was the first time I'd ever learned about periods was in my sex ed
0: class. And you were in fourth grade? hmm Okay.
1: Yeah, fourth grade. I was like 11 years old, and, 10 or 11. And uh, I remember being very curious about what we were going to learn. It was like this really taboo subject, so I was really intrigued. And male pleasure, quote unquote, was alluded to. Right. I remember the teacher saying, you know, that an erection, when the medical drawing is up on the screen, can feel good. So I'm like, oh my gosh, something awesome has to happen to my body too. Like they're transformers. What does my body do? That's amazing. And I learned about pain and blood and all these things that seem scary to me, which they shouldn't, but it was the context for me was all very negative. And, uh, when I first learned what boner meant, immediately I thought, what about girl boners? Mm. So that's where the personal term came from for me. And I, I use it as like a joke term for years and years with like mm. boyfriends and I would say, you know, friends and whatever. Right. So I, I trademarked it before I started the blog series.
0: Wow. And then when did the podcast come along in relationship to your work in girl boner land?
1: About a year after. Okay. Yeah. I'd started appearing on other people's podcasts and a couple of radio shows. And after I think maybe my fifth appearance, uh, one of the producers said, well, why don't you have your show? Like it had it dawned on me mm-hmm. and it was perfect because I was full-time writing by then and I missed the interaction with people and totally. you know, I had the acting background and it just gives me a sense of connecting with an audience that I love.
0: And so do you, still, do you still love it? Yeah. I always ask podcasters that because I'm like a year and a half in, almost two years in and I still really like it. Yeah. I and I kind of feel it. like I shouldn't. Like, huh? I feel like I should not like doing this work, but I really like it. That's so good. It's yeah.
1: fun. I do too. I mean, certainly it's it's helpful for me now. At the end of the year now, I take off two weeks. Oh, nice. I didn't do that before. Okay. Um, I mean, I thought I was going to just do uh, two episodes a month when I started. And immediately I was doing it weekly because right. I just, you get the bug, you know? Right. And when I'm away from it, like if I pre record and I have a break, I miss it.
0: Right. So yeah. Well, we'll fun. see. I'm getting – so listeners, you'll know by now that I'm not really recording this in February, but we'll see how restless I am by the time we come back in March. <laughs> yeah. Because it'll be a long time being away from the totally. work. Um, okay. So you're a writer and then you wrote this book, but you'd never written a book before. Well, I had written a novel. Oh, you had.
1: Yeah. So I wrote first a novel called In Her Shadow. It's a psych thriller. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I was already writing for like health publications, doing a lot of nutrition articles and stuff like that. Um, and then my, my I already had a blog, but then I, I shifted gears on the blog
0: and changed it to girl boner. And then what was that like writing a book, writing, writing girl boner into a book from a blog? Uh,
1: it was really, oh my goodness, surreal. I mean, <laughs> I thought, because this is how I think a lot of writers think, I thought I'll start the blog because then within like a year I'll have a book deal. Right, <laughs> which may happen. That does happen to some people. It did not happen for me. Right. Um, and I'm glad now. Like looking back, I think the timing was good because I had a lot of learning and growing to do. I didn't have my podcast yet. And I think culturally, we were much more ready for Girl Boner by the time it did come out. Mm-hmm. But it took about six years. Uh, and so what was crazy though, is I only had three months to write the book. Oh, I'd written ten percent of it for the proposal, which I had written like months and months before. Oh my god! So it, there was this like scary moment of sitting at my laptop and looking at this blank page and writing "girl boner" and being like, oh, all the pressure, like everything you've done the last five years, just spit it out. Right. Um. And so that that first little feeling was like, ah. And then you get into it, and it felt I was it, it kind of gave me a little bit of a high. I was just in this cave of doing the thing that I've been wanting to do, uh, and certainly had its challenges, but I had a wonderful editor, uh, Kayla Church, who was just great to, um, to bounce things off of. Right. And, yeah. But other than that, it was just like dive in.
0: Did you let people read the book before?
1: I didn't even really have a chance because yeah, I did have, let's see. No, nobody read the entire book. I I did have my husband read a couple sections because he's mentioned and he's very private Okay. and I wanted to make sure he's cool with what's in there. Um, but yeah, no, it was basically just
0: the, the editor and, and me. That was my next question for you about privacy. Was it hard for you getting started sharing? I mean, the first actual chapter of the book starts with your first masturbatory mm-hmm. orgasm. Yeah. Like that's like, hey – I'm August. What's up? Like, was it? I mean, by <laughs> yeah. the time you wrote the book, obviously, yeah. you were used to it. But when you started Girl Boner and started talking versus writing about it, because I feel like there's a difference between mm. blogging and writing. There's a little more privacy there. Yeah. But then when you put your voice to it and your face to it, what was that like?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I once I really had that when, once I had that orgasm that changed my life, as I called it. The my first masturbatory orgasm at age 30 after I thought I was already like fully empowered, like I've got this. (laughs) Uh, It was so life shifting for me. So I actually, it unlocked something in me that I wanted to talk about it a lot. And so at first I feel like if anything, I felt so open that Things like I would be posting, I didn't have a girl on her Facebook page. So on my just regular page who mm. all my friends and family and like nieces see, I'd be like, we're talking about dildos today. And I, somebody sent me a message and said, Hey, um, could you change the picture sometimes that shows up on the, you know, cause pe- there are people who are uncomfortable right. and and I don't want to ostracize anybody or make them uncomfortable. So I had to learn, uh, those kinds of boundaries and over time, it's it's been really helpful that my husband is so private because it instilled in me these boundaries mm. that have become more and more helpful to me because things grow. And it's very easy when you're in this bubble of sex positivity to think that a lot – like everyone feels this way. Right. But they don't. But they don't.
0: Did you get a lot of or any major backlash either from people from your life or just not trolls so much but people who – seemed like they were really authentically coming from a place of disagreeing with you. Like do you get that?
1: Occasionally, yeah. I I had a writer friend of mine the first comment I heard about my my blog series, I shared my sex ed story on my blog first. And I didn't feel nervous until I hit published. And then I was like, oh my God like it's in my dad's inbox cuz he subscribes to my blog right. you know i just i was just very nervous at that point um and the first comment i got was from this colleague who was like well that sounds a lot like porn i think you should change it and it just felt so you know uncomfortable and right. uh so there were there were some some moments like that uh people sending me messages about well, this is cool that you're doing this, but just be careful about X, Y, and Z, like, you know, feeling hmm. protective about certain things. Uh, but for the most part, I would say people have responded very positively and over time have gotten much more comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel Because at
0: first they're like, what happened to good girl August, yeah. right? Yeah. That's so interesting. Okay. Before we dive in more to books, I do want to ask you for people who are listening to this podcast, who maybe are being introduced to you right now and you know haven't read the book yet but they're going to go get it obviously um what are some of the like basic go to first things you tell women who are maybe interested in becoming more sex positive or whatever that looks like mm,
1: i think start where you're where you are is a big one because everyone's in a different place in their journey and i i find that we judge ourselves so much mm-hmm. and so starting from a point of I'm going to take some baby steps and just start here. As you know, I love journaling as a tool. I think that's really helpful. And whether you use the prompts that are in my book, I have a journal too, and then there are journaling prompts in Girl Boner. But even if you just use like a blank book or a a doc on your computer, I love journaling as a way to get your thoughts out and your concerns that you don't even know you're struggling with. Mm -hmm. Because I think we put up a lot of walls around our we don't even know we have shame a lot of the time. Right. And so I think that's a big one. Um, or so, we don't
0: understand that what we're feeling is shame. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally.
1: Yeah. And and I think also thinking about what role pleasure plays in your life, right. how do you feel about your sexuality? It's a question we just don't get asked. We right. We go in to get medical checks and all these other things. And it's something we just need to consider for ourselves is really think about what did we learn? What are our beliefs? How do we identify? Do we want to change our sex life? Are we, are we having, um, the kind of sex that we want if we are, you know, having sex and if we aren't, that's okay too. You know, just, just seeing where those little areas are of, um, of blocks for yourself, I think are important. And then also, um, seeking community, I think is really big too. Mm. Making sure you have someone to talk to who is not going to judge you. Right. Yeah.
0: I do. I I said that was the last thing, but I do have one more thing because it's going to come up next week. So next week we're talking about Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. but before we will do much more of that, but I do want to talk about who you are in the world. You are a cisgender white woman. You're beautiful. You are a model. You're an actress. Mm -hmm. And I say beautiful because you are, but also you're conventionally beautiful. Um, How have you... Dealt with inclusion because your book is super fucking inclusive. Mm -hmm. You do a very amazing job. There are sections on mental health, there are sections on disability, there are sections on different gender and sexual identities, there are sections on different positions, there are sections on different traumas. And so I'm just curious, there are sections on sex workers. I'm just curious how you, because let me backtrack a little bit. Because of who you are and because of who we all are, we have our own blind spots and things that we never thought about or never considered. And there's things in your book where I was like, wow, I never considered spinal cord injuries and mm-hmm. orgasms, right? That's just my own personal, something that I didn't know. So I'm curious how you found your way into inclusivity. If that came through the work that you were doing with Girl Boner and meeting different people, or if that was something that was kind of always there and you, and you inherently felt that because you were dealing with shame and you knew that shame could come. like So basically, talk to me about how that happened for you.
1: I would say my upbringing played a big role. My family is very accepting. I also have ADHD mm-hmm. and struggled with um, poor body image and body dysmorphia and some mental health stuff. And my mom had uh, clinical depression, was hospitalized when I was in high school. So I wasn't. I, I got to see and experience um, certain types of um, privileges that I didn't have. Uh, but I would say that once I started Girl Boner as my my blog, I learned so much more about uh, things like gender identity and um, orientation. Uh, certainly, being part of I think even though I grew up in Minnesota, it's really homogenous. I started out in inner city school in Mm -hmm. Minnesota and then we moved and then I was in suburbia, which felt a little bit traumatic because it was just so different and everyone was just, uh, it just had a very different vibe. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like no diversity whatsoever and very, it felt very judgmental um, and I hated that. Uh, But I was always very involved in, in theater and the arts. And so I think, while a lot of smaller towns in Minnesota might not have the same kind of access to to diversity, being in the arts and and being in Minneapolis helped a lot. Right? Yeah. A lot of really good role models and just, and once you start realizing that there are those gaps that you have that we all have, but like when you really see it, um, and I think we will always learn more about this, you know, I think it's such a journey for all of us, but it just becomes a matter of of listening, like always listening. It's become the most important thing about all the work I do is what I would have even thought about going in, which is like, listen to my listeners. What are they thinking about? What are they asking about? What do they care about? Right. So that it doesn't become so insular and like, it's just my own worldview. Right. Okay. That's
0: really good to hear. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We do a segment on the show called Ask the Stacks. Someone's written in, they want a book recommendation. You don't know what they've written. I do. I'm going to read it to you and then you're going to try to come up with a one or two or something. Okay. So this is from Dana. Dana says, hi there. Recently started listening to this podcast and absolutely loving it. I haven't been able to read much in the last several years because I've been in college, but now that I've graduated, I'm trying to read more. I've been reading a lot of true crime and thriller suspense, but I really want to branch out in what I read. After reading The Immortalists and Long Way Down, thanks to this podcast, I'd love some ideas on books that are thought-provoking, but in a story that grabs your attention from the get-go. However, any and all recommendations for any genre would be appreciated. Thanks for the awesome podcast." Thank you, Dana, and congratulations on graduating from college. Yay. Um, Okay, so I did a mix of things because you kind of said mix. I tried to focus most on thought-provoking and grabs you from the beginning. So the first one, which I haven't read but have only heard amazing things about, is called Your House Will Pay by Steph Cha. She's an L.A.-based writer and it's about the 1992 L.A. riots. It's about two families, a black family and a Korean family. I've heard it's amazing pretty much from everyone who's read it. So I'm going to put myself out there and recommend it without having read it yet. So that's one. Number two is a book that I read years ago that I loved. I think they made it into a movie. Um, it's called Unbroken. It's by Laura Hild- Hillenbrand. She wrote the Seabiscuit book also, but it's about Louis Zamperelli, who was a runner and he was in the Olympics and then he went into World War II and became a prisoner of war and had like a plane crash. And it's just like, unputdownable. It's so good. And then my last one is an essay collection that I love and is super thought-provoking. And because it's essays, you can read them one at a time. Um, It's called The Reckonings and it's by Lacey M. Johnson. It's one of my all-time favorite books. I read it last year and I just love it. She talks about race. She talks about pollution. She talks about um, Hurricane Harvey. She's based in Houston. She talks about sexual assault. She talks about kind of about being a good girl um, or what that means. She talks about all sorts of stuff and it's fantastic. So those are my recommendations for you, Dana. August?
1: Oh my gosh. First of all, those recommendations sound awesome. (laughs) I wonder, because this person appreciates thrillers and wants to branch out, one of my favorite books uh, is called Brain on Fire. Yes. Susan Mm -hmm. Cahalan.
0: I don't know how to say her name, but I know. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's so wonderful. It's one of my just – like one of those books that felt just compulsive to me. Like I had to keep going and just had this insatiable need to read it. So if you love suspense but you want a true story and you want something that also has a very positive message like what she has done without giving away what happens – saves lives. So it has all these layers
0: like memoir and humanitarianism. Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. That's such a good one. Dana, if you read any of our books, let us know. Also, everyone else, if you want a book recommendation read on the air, email askingthestacks at gmail.com. Very easy. Okay. Now we're going to get into your books. So we always start here, two books you love, one book you hate. Two books I love. Well, I just mentioned one,
1: but uh, truly these two are my My favorite, favorite, and then I have a whole bunch of just like a lot that I just really like. Yeah, Um, but one is Brain on Fire. It's just brilliant. And then another one that I love is called Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. It's so Gavin De Becker is a consultant for he works with like the CIA on training and helping people determine when something is like a, a threat. And it's it's essentially about. Your fear instincts and you know trusting your intuition, but he interviews all these people who were able to save themselves from different scenarios, mm. and it completely changed my life. It's the book that I recommend probably more. I've, I think I've sold more of this book than my books. <laughs> um, it, it's it's wonderful, especially for women, but I think for for really anybody. It's um, because it also gets into not just physical violent threats, but like. When someone's treating you weird in the office, right? You know, it's just—it's
0: really, really brilliant. Mm, okay. And then, what's your book that you hate?
1: The books that I hate, plural, are these Christian uh, sex and relationship books, mm. like evangelical Christian, I okay. should say. Uh, the The ones that I'm thinking of are—they don't even present themselves as being uh, evangelical Christian based. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to write Girl Boner was because as I was reading this genre and trying to learn more, you'd be reading along and they're just full of these like very gendered societal myths about, you know, the woman being in charge of the man's desire and that whole purity culture thing right? and you need to pray for your, pray for your husband's lust and all this stuff. Um, they right. just, Oh my gosh, they irk me so much. I used to stomp around the house, like sweaty about it. <laughs> They're the only books that I would like write a negative review for. Cause usually I won't even keep reading a book I don't like. Right. And I'm not going to like, I, I'm an author. I don't want to slam someone's creation, but if something's harmful, I will yeah. write something tactful because I think that, it hurts so
0: many people. Totally. And there's a responsibility to call out bullshit. I think so. Yeah. yeah. What's a book that someone's recommended to you that you really liked? Okay. So I know that this isn't really fair because I also already said this name, oh. but there's a
1: good story around okay. it. Okay. So, how I found out about The Gift of Fear was I had just moved in to the guest house behind my now husband. That's how we met. Oh, okay. So we were friends and then we had just started dating. And I hadn't lived in the area for super long, a few months, and one day flowers appeared at my door. And there was a note. They were from somebody who lived in the neighborhood. And it had his phone number on it, it had like this flirty kind of note. He should not have known where I lived because my address, I mean, I was in the guest house. Somebody right. brought them to my front door. Um, and it was very presumptuous. Like didn't know who I was, if I was in a relationship, like, right. And, and I was dating someone. So my first thought was, and this is, this is where the good girl thing comes in for me. It's like, I was going to call and be like, I'm so sorry, but I'm dating someone. Thank you so much. You know, (laughs) and and this was me so long ago. It makes me cringe to even think about that. But, uh, my, my now husband said, I want you to do whatever you feel is right. But I think you should maybe read this book. And, as I was reading it, I looked, it just gave me this hindsight lens of all the experiences I'd had in my life around like Mm. boundaries and all that stuff. It just really hit me at the right time and, uh, and changed everything. Like I took an incredible self-defense class since then. And, um, I'm now doing like some true crime podcast work for survivors. Like it just really cracked things
0: open for me. So yeah he he's the one who suggested that, so that's the book that you recommend and the book that was recommended too yeah. so you like pay, pay, pay it forward <laughs> totally <laughs> it is. um do you set reading goals for yourself
1: i don't i'm I also don't set writing goals for myself no. like i I know a lot of uh readers and writers will have like a certain number of books per month or per year um a word count for writers yeah, I'm just not really that that doesn't really work for my brain i just I just read um I'm either reading because I am on like some sort of deadline. Like I want to read it before a podcast guest right? or it's for something that I'm writing. If it's purely pr- pleasure, then it just, you know, it's depends if I'm, if I'm writing nonfiction, I like to read fiction. Okay. Uh, so, and I love thrillers. So I usually will go to like a psychological thriller of sorts. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've ever, other than when I was a kid and they had that book at club. Did you have that? Mm-hmm. Where have you read? For every, every book you read, you got like a star. Oh, okay. And then you would get a free pizza. Oh. That's the only time I did that.
0: This is something that I need pizza. in my life. I would get so many pizzas. <laughs> Why is there no pizza incentive for adults? <laughs> this is what be. I need. Mean. Uh, do you wish there were, was there, is there anything that you wish was different about your reading life? Mm, yes. I.
1: I have a hard time reading sitting still. Okay. I've gotten a little I've gotten better at it, but it used to be impossible almost. So how would you for read? On the elliptical machine. Oh, okay. on a bike. I read really fast and plain like I read very fast when I'm moving. Okay. And I used to not I just the way that my brain works is very hard for me to I would go over the same like sentence over. Mm. Like it would just be so frustrating. Um and so it's I'm not somebody that can just like whenever I want to just Hmm. lay down and read. I also can't just read anything. If I, if I'm not into a book, I just can't even cling to it.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: So that has been challenging for me when I have um, like, I'm supposed to read a book for a guest, for example, and I don't like the book. Even if I don't think it's bad, I just am not into it.
0: It's just not for you. Yeah.
1: It'd be nice to be more flexible that way.
0: Yeah. No, I feel that. I mean, I, I push through because, you know, I have to, but I definitely, there are times when you're asked to read something. Usually it's school, right? Like usually after school, you don't have to read things, mm-hmm. but what for in our line of work, we do obviously, but I definitely feel that a lot. Where I'm like if I wasn't, Doing, I wasn't talking to this person later. I would not be reading this right now. Right. It's uh, not
1: easy, right? No,
0: it's really hard. And sometimes even if I like the book, it's just not the right time in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I would maybe if I was interviewing you in six months, I would really like your book, but I just read a book kind of similar to this and like, Mm -hmm. you know, I I totally feel that. like homework. A hundred percent. How do you organize your books? I read a lot of eBooks. Okay. So
1: in that way, they're just on my Kindle. Got it. Uh, And I love that I can because I'm on, I don't want to sweat all over my books. Yeah. So I, I, since I exercise, like I right. will tell people, I loved your book so much. It made my butt hurt because I was at the gym and I just <laughs> like had to keep, like I read, uh, the book we're gonna be talking about three women, mostly on the elliptical machine, right. but it's like a bigger book and I could like prop it open. Yeah. Uh, but at, at home, I don't have any organization system whatsoever for books, but my husband does and he does it by like category. So it uh-huh. was like, uh, there's like the art category. Got it. We're, when we moved, it was almost all books. So we're both like really into books. Um, but but yeah, I'm very random that way. Do you guys read the same things? You
0: and your husband?
1: Sometimes, like yeah. when I really love a book, then uh, like *Braid on Fire*. Okay. After I read it, I read it on, I read it on my Kindle, and then I bought him the paperback right away. Does he Kindle I'm like, or we need no? To talk about this. He did it for a long time. Uh, but now he does a little bit because uh, he can read on his iPad and – Got it. Yeah. So when he's traveling and stuff. But he he more prefers the the paper. I do like getting hard copies of like my friends' books mm-hmm. and certain books that are really special to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm more selective
0: yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That makes sense.
0: So we know that you like thriller, psychological thrillers. Are there any genres that you avoid or just aren't that into? I don't like cozy mysteries. What's that? It'll be like – the mystery of the cat who ate jelly beans. Oh, or like, okay. I mean,
1: that's a terrible example, right. but they're, they're better at writing titles. And okay. <laughs> I just said um, I, and I'm sure that they are you know I respect all forms of writing but I just don't get into they're like light fluffy mysteries okay like I like gritty psychological deeper right. stuff right. Uh, so definitely not those and because I wrote a thriller I used to go to a lot of mystery thriller conferences and in your bag you get one that has like a kitten you know knitting on the front <laughs> and I would give
0: that one to like someone else that sounds like my nightmare I didn't even know that was a thing but I'm <laughs> really glad I don't I didn't know about it yeah Do you have a favorite bookstore? I love Powell's
1: in Portland. I got to do my dream book event there. You
0: did. What was Uh, your dream book
1: event? Was doing a reading from Girl Boner. I did, and I had just turned 40. And so I decided it was like the last uh, event of my book tour for that, like the official tour, I guess, uh, that was very piecemeal. But it was the last one of my my launch. And I decided instead of going and trying to stay – the most cheap way that I would go and have like a weekend for myself. So I, I got like a hotel room that was in walking distance from Powell. Um, I went to like this really cool dog restaurant in Portland, like (laughs) where they have animals everywhere and it it just, the whole experience was really amazing. But Powell's itself, have you been? Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. So great. It's incredible that. And then I also just love the random, like little tiny indie stores. Yeah.
0: No matter where they are. Yeah. It's always fun to go into a bookstore, I think. Yeah. Especially like I like to do it when I'm traveling just to see, even when I'm in o- other countries where I don't speak the language. We went to this great bookstore in Japan. Truly couldn't tell you what any of the books were or yeah. where, what I was, but it, just looking at them. Yeah. I'm with my friends, my Completely. Books. <laughs> They are friends. It's yeah, so true. Totally. Yeah, totally. Can you think of the last book that you purchased?
1: Uh the last book I purchased was Three Women. Oh. Because most of the books I've been reading lately are sent to me. Right, Like the publicist sends right, me books. Right. Right, of course. Oh, I did buy one other book. Oh gosh, I'm going to forget the the author's name. It's called like How to Do Nothing. Hmm. And it's about like productivity culture okay. and challenging the whole um individualism okay. thing in cool. our culture. I saw something about it online and it just spoke to me and uh I'm really interested. It's just like such a unique topic. Yeah. I've never read anything like that.
0: I'll find the author's name. I'll link to it in the show notes, everybody. I should, I didn't ask you this, but I am curious, how do you pick your next book? Like if you're not reading for the show, for your podcast or this podcast, how do you pick a book in New York Times? You rely on friends and family. A lot of times,
1: uh, because I've been writing nonfiction I will look for a psych thriller, like right before I'm getting on a plane, for example. Mm. I I love to be able to, especially when I'm flying, not have to be reading for work if possible. Right. Like it just feels more vacationy, and I am kind of a sucker for reviews. Not not because I'm going to base all my th- like in a store, I mm-hmm. wouldn't do that, but because I'm you know looking through my Kindle and Amazon store or whichever ebook store I'm looking at, it's really helpful to see. Um, what especially like editorial reviews, what, what people thought about it. Um, and I, I figure if a book is really popular in a genre that I like, you know, it's probably going to be decent. And right. then I, I read the overview. I don't, I don't really look at the covers. I think online you don't look as much anyway at the covers, but the overview is really important to me. And then if I'm on the fence, I uh, download the intro or like the sample. Okay. Through Kindle yeah. or whatever.
0: Yeah. What's the last book that made you laugh?
1: Oh <laughs> I'm gonna laugh again. Yeah. Uh Lala Pettibones, Act Two okay. by Heidi Master Giovanni. She's a dear friend of mine and uh comedic novelist and she wrote a series. Um, that's the sequel. The, first, the It's a Lala Pettibone series. So okay. it's just so lovely. Like the, the main character is very much based on her. She's very open about that. Like it's a lot yeah. of it comes from her life and she's one of the funniest people I've ever met <laughs> and kindest, like funniest, kindest, and very fierce and like opinionated about politics. And it's just a lovely blend. Uh, and one of those people that you just feel you know, happier around. Right. And there's a particular scene in it where she's talking about moving from New York to Los Angeles. And the main character Lala is walking everywhere because she's a Manhattanite, right? Right. And um can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that here. <laughs> but Lala was walking to um I think it was the Beverly Center mm-hmm. from like really far. And that's like a crazy area to be walking right. around. Like there's so much traffic and everything's crazy. Uh and she gets Somebody pulls up and it turns out that the person thinks she's a sex worker and she just has like this really funny comment she makes. I I won't give away more than that, but it it just made me like guffaw laughing. (laughs) It has a lot of moments like that. She's really good at that. And comedic novels are not something I would normally just grab or gravitate toward. And I'm so grateful to have writer friends because what joyful reading that was. And it just, if I didn't know her, I might not have had that
0: pleasure. Okay. From Pleasure to Pain, last book that made you cry.
1: Also Three Women. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are a couple couple seeds. Um, is it okay
0: to share? We'll, we'll say it. it. Okay. We'll save it. We'll say it. Yeah. yeah. Last book where you felt like you learned a lot?
1: You know, interestingly, the book that comes to mind for that is by Candice Bushnell. Is There mm. Still Sex in the City? Mm-hmm. Uh, I interviewed her. So I read the book and I love the way – and she's so gifted at this and has been for decades. Um really shining a light on different areas of culture and trends and things like that. And what was so neat about it for me was it's focused on a middle-aged woman's experience with dating. Mm. And I don't think we have enough of those stories. Mm -mm. And so I was really curious about it. You know, she's trying like Tinder and and I I have been with the same person since before Tinder was popular. So those were all new things to me. And, uh, just to, to kind of try on the experience of being Mm. someone who is of older age. I, I love true stories for that reason. And I love stories based on, um, like real research and and sociology and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Is there any book that you're feel proud to have read?
1: I read the Odyssey when I was little. You did? Yeah. Which I think was, I read it for Odyssey of the Mind. Do you know what that is? No. <laughs> I mentioned this at an event recently where I was... It sounds on, from... Is it a okay. school thing? Yeah. It's like... It's kind of like math club, but it's for problem solvers. Okay. And I thought that people in LA kind of knew about it. And I okay. I mentioned it. I, I was part of this game show called You Don't Know My Life, which was really fun. And I was trying to explain Odyssey of the Mind. And I was like, who else was in Odyssey of the Mind? And when I explained <laughs> it as like problem solvers, like it was... I got all these funny looks and people were like, that is weird. Um, but it was a huge part of my growing up. And I started when I was only eight, I was in third grade and we would read classics and then you would have these different problems you would solve and do creative things like create a play or create a solution for like, um, a, a saving the planet or all right. these different things. And, uh, the odyssey was like this massive book <laughs> that was so hard to, you know, comprehend at that age. And so because it was such a challenge, I just, I was like, I'm going to do this. Right.
0: I just remember feeling like really fierce about that. That's good. That's like a pretty badass book to read as a young person. What about a book that you're embarrassed that you've not read yet?
1: I don't know that I am necessarily embarrassed, but there are a lot of classic books that I haven't read, partly because, again, like I have to feel into something to read Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, because my ADHD wasn't diagnosed, like, I literally could not read it. Right. And so at the time, I felt a lot of shame around that. Mm. I, thought I, was, I thought I was becoming very stupid is what I would think in my own mm-hmm. head because um, it got really bad with puberty. So, so like Jane Austen or like Tale of Two Cities,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, literally, I couldn't get through a page of it. Right. Um, now, I'm not embarrassed about that, but it would be nice to have that knowledge. I think it's so cool when people have read all the classics and can like quote them. Can you do that?
0: Mm. No, I, the only classics that I'm really into is Shakespeare, but I was a theater major. So it comes from a place of theater and not of literature, Mm. but most of those other classics not into, they didn't grab me, but I don't have, I don't, that's not where I have shame around my reading. Like those, those aren't the books that I wish that I'd read. There are other books, like other, a lot of like black women authors that I haven't read. Like I've never read bell hooks. I've never read Audre Lorde. Um, I've never read Angela Davis, like those people I'm sort of embarrassed about, mm. but the like old white men and women thing, meh, meh. Yeah. <laughs> like I've never read Sherman Alexie, who's someone that I feel like okay. I should have read sh- at some point in my yeah. life. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I also don't feel super embarrassed about it because I have time. I figure yeah. it's all oh, on totally. my list. And reading is like your job. So. Right. I'll get there. Up. I'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Let's just a few more. We'll do just a few more. If you were assigning books in school, let's say high school, what's a book you might assign? I would assign *Girl, Boner. It's actually probably a hundred percent correct <laughs> that you did that. It's right on. Kids need it. Sex ed is so lacking in our culture, and and increasingly. So, in reading your book, I didn't realize how bad it was in other places. I think that I knew. I, I grew up in the Bay Area. I went to Catholic school, but n- not the Catholic school that everyone else went to. Like we didn't have uniforms. My sophomore year uh, biology teacher transitioned female to male while I was in high school in the early 2000s. Like that's not Catholic school shit. Like that's like nobody who goes to Catholic school has a transgender biology teacher. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, And so we had sex ed. We didn't talk about pleasure, Mm -hmm. but I knew – I knew about sex. I knew about oral sex. I knew that people masturbated. I knew about the difference between an STI and an STD. We had to do that horrible thing where they make you carry a baby around, those baby dolls that cry. That was in middle school. But I felt like, I I mean, I didn't learn everything about sex. And I certainly didn't learn a lot about pleasure and orgasms and like the different kinds. But I felt like I had a decently well-rounded considering... The line from the Catholic church is no sex outside of wedlock, no condoms, no contraception. Like we yeah. learned about birth control. I had a teacher who put a condom on with her mouth on a cucumber in front of our class. Wow. Which I actually found to be quite inappropriate even at 18. I was like, I don't, but I was just like that embarrassed. Is fascinating to me. <laughs> like I was like, I don't need to see that. <laughs> but more because I was like, this is weird. Was your
1: whole was the whole class like that? Like everything you I learned? People was very- were like.
0: I mean, she was very out of the box kind of person. She was dope. Like she was the teacher who would be like, if you guys are having sex and you have questions, like you can come talk to me. I wasn't having sex in high school, so I didn't need that. But I do remember being like, why is she doing this condom thing? Like, why can't she just do it with her hands? Like, why is she doing this? (laughs) That needs to be written in something. That's amazing. But in reading your book, I didn't realize that a lot of places it's like, just don't have sex. Sex is bad. You're gonna die of cancer if you have sex.
1: Seriously. Like I, I it's didn't huge. Know that. I mean, and even in the past few years, since writing my book, fewer states um require sex ed and wow. fewer states require that it's medically or scientifically accurate. Which is fucking crazy. Why bother doing it if it's not real? Right. And I think the idea is they want to leave room for faith-based messages. They can say things like, um, you know, you should save yourself for after marriage because God but wants you to or something. Why don't they
0: just incorporate that into they the should. class? Totally. Because like you wouldn't do a math class where your teacher says two plus two is nine. Right. I exactly. believe that two plus two is nine. Like it just seems like a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. So why not teach, okay, this is what is taught medically. This mm-hmm. is what Jews believe. This is what Catholics believe. This is what... You know, we were taught – like why not turn it into more of a sociology class around sex and actually present real information Mm -hmm. if you feel like you need to make space for religion?
1: 100%.
0: That's so annoying to me.
1: It's really awful. (laughs) And of course, the states that have the least sex ed have the highest rates of STIs and STDs and the highest rates of teen pregnancy. We know abstinence space doesn't work. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. If it couldn't be you, who would you want to write the book of your life?
1: Oh, um, I think Cheryl strayed.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I love um her approach to writing. She, she's very she's very poetic, but not in a not in a way that is um show-offy, mm-hmm. I, I guess for lack of better words, that it's um she's she's obviously very good at memoir. She seems to be a good observer.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, last one. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be?
1: You know, if he required required to comprehend it yeah. too. We're going to say he would get it. Okay. Anything by Roxane Gay, I would say. Okay. Yeah. That's good. For sure. Otherwise, something about like how to quit well or like, right. you know, or, or really like you would be the greatest person ever if you quit. Like right. that should be the message <laughs> of the book otherwise. But otherwise, yeah, Roxane Gay,
0: all. I over would the just place. love to get her to sit down with him. Wouldn't that be like the greatest 2020 episode ever? (laughs)
1: Incredible. Yes. Must happen.
0: (laughs) Except for I wouldn't want to put her through that emotional labor. Right. Seems exhausting, but for my own personal selfish reasons.
1: If she wanted to and if she got paid a lot of money, I'd be like, I'd be
0: all for it. Oh my gosh. Amazing. (laughs) Okay. So next week we're coming back. We're discussing Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. Everybody... For Real, Go Out, Get Girl Boner by August McLaughlin. August, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for having me, Tracy. Yay. And we will see you guys in the stacks. Thank you guys so much for listening today. And thank you to August for being our guest. Next week, we are back to discuss three women by Lisa Tadeo. Make sure you read the book before you tune in because there will be spoilers. You can find everything we discussed on today's episode in the link in the show notes. Make sure to get your book recommendation read on air by sending us an email at askingthestacks at gmail.com. For more from the Stacks, please follow us on social media at the Stacks pod on Instagram and at the Stacks pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join the Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. Make sure you are subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagirages. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.